To hear Gabriel's trumpet sound When I wake up When I wake up To sleep no more To pay my blessed Redeemer With a glad shout I'll leave the ground When I wake up When I wake up To sleep no more Glory to God, I'll have a new body Change in the twinkling of an eye When I wake up When I wake up to sleep no more Leaving behind all trouble and sorrow Bound for that city up on high When I wake up When I wake up to sleep no more When I wake up glad morning Sleep no more Jews adorning Happy I'll be Over in glory Heaven's white shore To sleep no more. When I wake up, on some glad morning, sleep no more. Jewels adorning, happy I'll be. Over in glory, heaven's white shore. Share the story with the redeemed of all the ages. Praise no one whom I adore. When I wake up, to sleep no more. When I wake up, 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 to sleep no Again, that'd be all right. What a glad shot, some wonderful morning. I shall hear Gabriel's trumpet sound. When I wake up, when I wake up to sleep no more. Right to meet my blessed Redeemer with a glad shout, I'll leave the ground. When I wake up, when I wake up to sleep no more. When I wake up, on some glad morning, sleep no more. Jewels adorning, happy I'll be. Over in glory, heaven's white shell. a story with the redeemed of all the ages. Praising the one whom I adore. When I wake up, when I wake up to sleep no more. Glory to God, I'll have a new body. Change in the twinkling of an eye. When I wake up, when I wake up to sleep no more. Rising to meet my trouble and sorrow and
wake up to sleep no more. When I wake up, 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 when I wake up to sleep no more. Let's all stand. Turn around and tell somebody that's good. Amen. I've been watching too much TBN. You can tell that right now. Amen. Let's have our men come and let's gather around the altar. Let's take this service to the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all pray together. Let's take this service of the Lord and let's ask the Lord to meet with us tonight. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we do thank you for that blessed day when we'll wake up to sleep no more. Lord, we thank you for that day when we will be resurrected. The bodies of our loved ones will be resurrected. Those that are alive and remain will be called up and we'll be together. What a blessed, blessed, blessed day that's going to be. Father, touch us tonight. Lord, help us tonight to hear from you. Anoint the service, the choir, the preaching, the invitation. May everything be visited of you and anointed of you and stir our hearts tonight. Stir us about what you want to do for us. Thank you for letting us be here. You are indeed Lord. Be Lord of this service and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a songbook as everyone's going back. Page number 463. When the roll is called up yonder. 463. Call the first step. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair. When the saint of shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called of yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called of yonder, 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 I'll be
Let's let our ushers come forward to receive her offering. And we encourage you to be faithful in your giving and give as unto the Lord. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to bless our giving tonight. Father, thank you for the joy of being able to give. Bless those who give. Bless the offering tonight to meet the need of all the things you're doing here. We thank you, Lord, for how you provide in so many ways. But we ask you, Lord, to continue to meet needs, meet the remaining balance on our building uh, for the conference coming up in a few weeks. So many things. Lord, you are able, and we trust you to do so. Bless the giving tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
want to say something. We're going to do the second verse again. And as I was looking at the words of this, I have a nephew that lives in North Carolina that's been brought in with his grandmom this weekend, and he's 14 years old. And he has what's called Marfan syndrome. And now we think we live daily with pain. This young fellow's had eyes deflated, his uh, uh, lenses popping out, his hands, his appendages are longer. This boy's 14 years old, stands about this tall. They've told him his heart could explode at any moment because his heart grows faster than the valve. He's had rods put in his back. He's had pigeon chest, and they've gone in and raised and makes this look right here. His feet are club feet, or they're flat-footed, and they're working on that. And this little boy has a good attitude. But you know what I thought about when I look at him and I think about him? One of these days, all that's going to be gone. We're going to be in heaven, and he's going to know what it's like not to feel pain anymore. He's going to know it's not to be crippled. He can't do anything. He's kept to a minimum. He gets to keep score at softball games, but he can't play softball. He can't play anything that's going to cause his heart to have to work extra hard. But you know, very few times, he'll say sometimes he just doesn't feel good, but he doesn't complain. And to have an attitude like he does, one of these days, he's going to meet the Savior. And we get there, that body's going to be perfect. And there's not going to be any restraints on him anymore because of what Jesus did for us. I want you to think about this. When we sing this last verse, Lord, we have a lot to be thankful for today as we do. On the last now. Wretched lives are so sad to Oh! 
Come join us on our march to the happy place Where shall extol the Lord looking on his face Sharing all the joys up there in sunny climb Breaking Jesus evermore, what a happy time Please stand tonight as the choir comes down. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. As they play through, shake hands as many folk as you can. Make sure you make everyone feel welcome tonight. together now.
Thank you. You may be seated. I don't sing by myself a whole lot. Uh, I usually got somebody to blame the bad notes on, but I'm all alone tonight. So This is an old, old song called I Surrender All. All to Jesus I surrender All to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily to Jesus I surrender humbly at his feet I bow worldly pleasures all forsaken take me Jesus Amen. Let's open our Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go right ahead, RJ. Good to see you here. Good to see you standing. Amen. Bless you. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Amen. Amen. 
Bless you, RJ. Isn't that great? Amen. Praise the Lord. The only pain he's got is Bobby. Amen. That's... <laughs> praise the Lord. Good to see them here tonight. Amen. Maybe somebody else wants to just praise the Lord for something while you're finding your place in 1 Corinthians 15. Anyone else? Let me just remind you of two or three things after the service tonight. We have our fellowship next to old brother Brian, and uh, this is his birthday. And 31, is that right, Brian? 31, 31. Oh, to be 31 again, amen. <laughs> yeah, I give anything to be 31 again. And weigh what I did at 31, amen. <laughs> time, the old song says, time makes a change, amen. <laughs> Does. But we have our fellowship for Brian after the service, and, and I know you love Brian. We appreciate his ministry here, and, and he has ministered to so many of your hearts, and I want you to go by after the service tonight and uh, fellowship there and uh, celebrate his birthday, and uh, you want to have a card or pin some money on the money tree next door to show your love and appreciation for him. Our theme in August and September is Let's Have a Fall Revival. And there's a lot of things that are going on. Our emphasis throughout the month of August is our home and is home improvement. And then in September, we have a lot of things that are going on in September. The big thing, of course, is the Bible conference beginning the 17th of September, seven weeks away. The Sunday night prior to that on September the 10th on Sunday night, uh, Brother Tim Lee will be back with us again. It's been a number of years since we were able to get Tim scheduled, but he'll be here that night, and we're going to work out something for a future date. So I'm looking forward to having Brother Tim back, and that's in September. But uh, a lot of things, and I want you now, over the month of August and September, I want all of you now to join with me, and let's try to get everybody we can in church. How many of you will join with me and try to get somebody to come to church with you every Sunday. Now, I don't want you to stick your hand up so you look good. I want you to stick your hand up because you mean it. But you'll try to get somebody here every Sunday. Will you do that? Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's have our Sunday school absolutely packed out, our building full all during the month of August and September. Let's have a fall revival. Let's just get in this thing, go at it. And then I, I want to encourage you that uh, many of you now to get in the choir. It's good to see a good Sunday night number in the choir and a good number in practice here. But our goal is, is to absolutely have every seat in that choir filled. And during when we get ready, by the time Bible conference comes, it is absolutely packed. And every night of the conference, the choir is absolutely full. And I uh, saw some new faces in the choir. And there's many others that need to get in the choir. And I want to encourage you uh, to get in the choir. You have a voice. Use it for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Use it for the Lord. And I know, I know you want to, well, Brother Ken, I just like to listen. I like to, to enjoy it all. I do too. And uh, I like to listen to preaching once in a while, but I have to do it. And uh, so I want to encourage all of you to get in the choir. If you've got a voice, get in there. All you've got to do is be a member of the choir is to uh, just give them $100 and just be here for choir practice. That's all you've got to do to be in the choir. You just show up choir practice on Sunday nights. But uh, let me encourage you. Let's fill that thing up. And uh, don't, isn't the choir a blessing to you? Isn't it a blessing? And uh, the, many, the more we have in there, the better it's going to be. And we got great musicians. We couldn't get any better musicians. We couldn't get a better music director. And uh, everything we got, just let's fill it out. Let's pack it out and everybody get in there. And, and instead of just worrying about taking in, 
why don't you just look at it this way? I want to give out. And you'll get blessed by doing so. But uh, all of these things, it's just exciting about what the Lord is doing. And so let's get involved in all these things and let's really work and uh, ask the Lord to just give us a fall revival. You ready for a revival? Let's pray for it. Let's stand as we honor the reading of his word. We're making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians and we're in chapter 15, and I want us to begin reading at verse 35. I'm going to read down through verse 49. And I want us to think tonight about the new body versus the old body. The new body versus the old body. The new body being the body that we're going to have one day. The old body meaning the body that we live in right now. I want you to notice beginning in verse 35. Paul said, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in, in, it is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, The first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, earthy, such are they also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. And then tonight, let's look at these wonderful verses. And let's learn a little bit about the new body we're going to have one of these days. One of these days, we're going to get a brand new body. Now, what's that body going to be like? Let's look at it tonight, and I think we'll learn some things that will be helpful to you and be a blessing. Our Father, in Jesus' name, as we have gathered here, we have been reminded already through music of the future. And we've been reminded tonight of what you're going to give us in our new body. And so we look forward to that. And as we study the Scriptures tonight, Lord, we have several things to ask you for. Lord, we want you, one, to teach us the Word of God. We know that only the Holy Spirit can teach us the Bible. He is the author of the book. He is the author of every single word in this book. And, Lord, the only way we'll truly understand it is if He tells us what it means. So interpret the Bible to us. And as we walk through this passage of Scripture, Lord, help us to see, enlightness to comprehend, for we realize tonight that the Bible is spiritual truth, and spiritual truth cannot be humanly comprehended. It must be divinely uh, interpreted to us. So help us tonight to understand it. 
And Lord, not only let us understand it, but Lord, may it mean something to us. Would you use it in our heart? Would you bless our hearts with it tonight? Lord, would you stir our hearts with the wonderful truth of what lies ahead for every child of God? Impact our lives. And may we go out of here tonight excited about the Lord Jesus and thankful for what the future holds for us. So, blessed Spirit of God, do these things. We believe these things would be the will of God. And so we ask these things in your name, and for Jesus' sake we pray, amen. I once read about an underground storage site near Los Angeles, California, where a dozen men and women lie in capsules that look like giant vacuum flasks. Their bodies are wrapped in tinfoil, and an icy mist of liquid nitrogen clings around their body. Several have been dead for a number of years. Some of the corpses have been there since 1967. And all of them chose this odd method of entombment in the hope that at some time in the future when medical science has improved far beyond today's standards, they will be thawed from their deep frozen state and cured of the disease that killed them. It is what is called cryogenics. Well, I would say to you tonight, I don't know so much about cryogenics, and I have my doubts about cryogenics, but I want you to understand something. There is one thing I do not doubt, and that, one of these, and that is that one of these days there is going to be a cure for every ill and every affliction of the human body. One of these days, God's going to take care of every problem that is known in these bodies, every disease, every sickness, every problem, every handicap. There is one of these days that there is going to be an eternal healing and an eternal cure of the body. You see, in our text, as we've been looking at for the past several weeks, Paul has been talking about the body of the believer, and that is the resurrected body of every child of God. All of chapter 15 has to do with the resurrection of the believer's body. It begins by focusing upon the resurrection of Christ. But it focuses upon the resurrection of Christ in the very beginning to set the foundation for what he would say about the resurrection of the believer's body. He wants us to know in the very beginning that the Christ being our first fruits, he is the guarantee of our own resurrection. There were some in Paul's day that were skeptical of the resurrection of the believer's body. They did not doubt the bodily resurrection of Christ, but they were somewhat skeptical and doubtful that the believer's body would be resurrected. And so Paul makes it very clear in the very beginning of chapter 15 that if Christ was raised from the dead, that was the guarantee that one day we would also be raised from the dead and there would be a bodily resurrection of the believer or the believer's body would be resurrected. So he begins in chapter 15 talking about Christ's resurrection moving into our own resurrection and the resurrection of the body. You'll find as you read the writings that the Spirit of God used Paul to write that often he spoke about the believer's resurrection and the body of the believer being resurrected. And I believe I can understand that when I think about Paul. Paul was a man that many believed had a lot of physical infirmities. Many believed that Paul had poor eyesight. And they believed that it was a small man, maybe a humpback type man, and that he had many physical problems in his life. And then you think about everything that Paul went through. Paul went through all kinds of suffering, all kinds of physical abuse. I mean, he lived every day with physical suffering and physical problems. And I can understand why the future resurrection of the body was so dear to the heart of Paul. 
chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, he said, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The house that Paul was talking about was the body. He said, we live in this house. We have an earthly house, this tabernacle. And he said, one of these days, this tabernacle is going to be dissolved. But he said, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about one day we're going to get a brand new body. He said in verse 2, in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is in heaven. Paul said, my, I groan. There's a longing in my heart for my new body. And I know that everybody in this room tonight longs for much more than what this life affords. And I believe that everybody in this room tonight longs for much more than what we experience in this life. Well, I got good news for you. One of these days, there's going to be a resurrection morning. And on that resurrection morning, we're going to get a brand new body. Well, notice in verse 36. You notice Paul began, he anticipates some questions being asked. Again, he's answering the skeptics and the doubters and the scoffers. And in verse 36, he anticipates some of the questions that they might ask about the resurrection of the body. He said in verse 35, rather instead of verse 36, but verse 35, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? In other words, Paul was saying, somebody might ask me, how's it going to happen? How is the resurrection of the believer's body going to happen? How will it occur? He'll begin to answer that in verse 51, which will be the context of our next study. But then the second question that he anticipates is, and with what body do they come? Or in other words, what kind of body are they going to have? He anticipates these two questions. How will it happen? And when it happens, what kind of body will the believer have? At the resurrection morning, when our bodies are raised from the graves, what kind of body will they be? Paul answers the second question in verses 36 through verse 39, rather verse 49. He answers the question, what our bodies will be like. Have you ever stopped and wondered what the body versus the old body? For you see how Paul explains the new body is that he lays the new body alongside the old body. And much like putting a diamond on a dark background, as he lays the two bodies side by side, the brilliance and the glory of the new body shines forth. He said, this is the old body, this is the new body. And when you put the two together, you see what a glorious body our new body is going to be. Well, notice the text. I point out three simple little things. The first thing that I see in the text is this, that the new body will replace the old body. Now, that's very obvious, but he points this out, and I emphasize it here in the text. He talks about the new body and how that the new body will replace the old body. Notice what he said beginning in verse 36. He begins by saying, thou fool. Now, let me stop there for just a moment. The phrase that he uses there was used derisively of anyone who lacked understanding. It is a word with a prefix there when it put together means to be without mind, to not understand not to comprehend. And Paul all through the chapter here has been talking about the resurrection of the believer's body and been given reasons that guaranteed the believer's body being raised from the dead. And Paul says to these skeptics and scoffers there, he said, in light of everything I have told you 
in light of everything I have showed you, he said, it's not reasonable for you not to believe in the resurrection of the believer's body. He said, thou fool, thou person without understanding, without reason, without mind. He said, it just is not logical for you to doubt or disbelieve that there will be a resurrection of the believer's body. But once saying that to those that were questioning the believer's body being raised, he continues by saying that thou which that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. He begins to talk about and use several analogies to illustrate certain truths about the new body. The first one that he uses has to do with the seed in verses 36 through 38. And he talks about, when he used the analogy of the seed, he talks about the planting of the seed and then the plant that comes forth from the seed that is planted. Now, saying that, let me point out two things that he brings to our attention when he talks about the new body replacing the old body. You notice, first of all, that he reminds us in verse 36 of the cessation of life or the ending of life or the ceasing of life. Notice again the latter part of verse 36. He talks about that which thou sowest is not quickened, until, first of all, that it die, except it die in verse 36. Simply put, Paul is saying, there cannot be a resurrection of the body unless, first of all, there be a death of that body or the dying of that body. So in verse 36 here at the very beginning, he reminds us of a fact that we all understand. He reminds us that there is coming a day somewhere, somehow, sometime, someplace when life as we know it in this body is going to cease to exist. He's talking about the body. He's saying that somewhere the body is going to cease to function. That somewhere the body is going to cease to be able to work. Somewhere the heart is going to stop. Somewhere the body is going to cease to have any brain activity. Somewhere all the organs of the body are going to shut down. And life as we know it in this body is going to cease to exist. Now, we know that. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's appointed unto man once to die. Everybody in this room, me, you, every one of us, young and old, it doesn't matter who you are, somewhere we're going to die. That's a fact. We know that. We understand that. We see the evidence of that every day of our life. Somewhere... Somehow, sometime, someday, somewhere, every one of us are going to die. I think about a fellow I read about by the name of Fred. He was a good Christian man. But Fred was sick, and he's in the hospital, and he's dying. And so the family called in the pastor, and the pastor rushed to the hospital, and he got there, and he walked up to Fred's bedside, and he just stood there. And when the pastor got there, Fred's condition began to deteriorate. And he motioned frantically for something to write on. He couldn't talk because of the tubes and everything like that. And the pastor said, he's wanting to say something to me. He wants to write something down. So he got a pen and a piece of paper and handed it to Fred. And he used his last ounce of strength to write a note. And then suddenly he died. Well, the preacher thought, now's not the right time to read the note. So he folded it up, put it in his pocket and whatever. And so a couple days later, they were having his funeral. And as he was preaching the funeral, he happened to remember this was the same jacket that he had on when Fred died, when he went to the hospital. And he remembered the note that Fred had wrote. And so he said to the congregation, he said, you know, Fred handed me a note just before he died. He said, I haven't read it yet, but knowing Fred, I'm sure that it has a word of inspiration to us all. And so he took the note out, and this is what he read. Please step to the left. You're standing on my oxygen tube. Well, let me say this. Somehow, somewhere, someday, we're all going to die. Can I get an amen there? We don't know how, we don't know where, we don't know when. But somewhere, we're going to die. 
You see the word die that is used here? It's a word that simply means to die off. We are dying off. We die. There is the cessation of life. But there's something else that it reminds us of, and that is not only the cessation of life, the ending of life, but the continuance of life. You see, the analogy that Paul is using in verse 36 is of a seed planted in the ground. And when that seed in the analogy that he's using is that when that seed is planted in the ground, that seed actually dies. That seed goes through a process of decomposition. That that seed goes through a process of decay. That that seed goes through a process, you could call it dying. And Paul's saying likewise that the body, the body goes through a process whereby it decomposes. That the body goes, there's a time when life, as we know it in this life, will cease to exist. Life in these bodies as we know it will come to an end. And the body will go through this process of dying and decomposing and just like the seed is. But he's wanting to remind us there that even though the body dies, life itself does not end. For you notice the word dead that he uses in verse 35 when he asks the question, how are the dead raised up? The word dead that he uses there is not a word that speaks of somebody that has ceased to exist. But it was a word that was used by the Greeks to speak of those who were living, but they were not living in this present world as you or I would be living in this present world. They are alive. They are dead, but yet they're alive. But they're just living in a different environment, and they're living in altogether different conditions. What he's talking about is those who are dead, their bodies no longer exist, and their bodies no longer function, but yet they still live. Now, I want you to understand something tonight. There is no such thing as soul sleep. When we breathe our last, we catch our next breath on the other side. And we live. These old bodies somewhere are going to shut down. These old bodies are dying off. These old bodies are going through a process whereby they are dying. And one of these days, this body will cease to function, but we will live on. We're going to live in another environment and live in a brand new place. I think about our loved ones tonight. You know, we often talk about, and of course, he's talking about the body here and the resurrection of the body. A lot of times when we talk about our loved ones, when our loved ones die, we say they now have their new body. Now, to be technically correct, or to be, be honest with you tonight, that's not technically correct. You see, when our loved ones die, they do not get their new body. We are all going to get our new body on the resurrection morning. You see, the, when those, when our loved ones die, they go to be with the Lord. But our loved ones tonight are what you would call a bodiless spirit. If you were to go to heaven tonight, our loved ones do not possess their bodies. If you were to go to the grave and to bring up their bodies, you would find their bodies is still out there in the cemetery, still out there in the grave. They left their body on this earth. Our loved ones tonight are in heaven. They're in a body. They are a bodiless spirit. Now, from all indication, all understanding of the Bible, their spirit has a bodily form. They are known in heaven. They communicate in heaven. They feel in heaven. They talk in heaven. They move in heaven. They worship in heaven. And all the functions that we know in life, those seem to exist even in heaven right now. So they're not in their new body. But here's the point that Paul is wanting us to understand, that one of these days that they are going to live again in their bodies. The dead who die in the Lord, their bodies are like the seed that is put into the ground. There is a decomposing of the body. The body they lived in is like a seed planted in the ground. But he's reminding us that this body, 
that the body that is in the ground one of these days is going to be replaced with a brand new body and they will once again live in their body. But look at verse 37. He said, In that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be. But he says, But bear grain and may chance of wheat or some other grain. He's telling us in verse 37 that we're going, our loved ones that have died, and if we die in our lifetime, the only exception would be the coming of Christ. But he said, Our bodies are going to be put in the ground like a seed. But one of these days, those bodies are going to be raised, and when they are raised, it'll not be the body that was put into the ground, but it'll be an altogether different body. It's like a seed. You take a little brown seed. He mentions in verse 37 there, bare grain that is a naked seed. He said it might be a wheat or it might be some other grain, but he said you take that little seed and you put it in the ground. And you put it in the ground and you cover that seed up and that seed will die. That seed will decompose. But somewhere there is going to be a plant come up out of the ground. Not what you put in the ground, not a little seed, but a beautiful plant is going to come out of the ground. And what he's telling us is, yes, we put the bodies of our loved ones in the ground. They are bared. My body will be placed in the ground one of these days. But the body that I'll have one day, the body that God is going to give me to live in through all eternity is going to be a brand new kind of body. It'll not be the body put in the ground, but it'll be a new body. Can I get an amen there? I think about the Jewish tradition. The Jewish tradition held that the lame and the blind and the deaf and the dumb and other afflicted men would be raised in the same condition in which they died. But I want you to understand something. That which is sowed is not what's going to get up out of the ground one of these days. These bodies that are afflicted, uh, uh, Rick was talking about his nephew Nathan a while ago. And I know little Nathan and all, but thank God, listen to me, listen to me. What is sown in the ground, what is placed in the ground, our bodies, is not the body that we'll have on the resurrection day. It'll be a different kind of body. The new body is going to replace the old body. But look at something else I point out in the text, and that is this. The new body will not only replace the old body, but the new body will resemble the old body. You see, even though the new body is going to be a totally different body, there are certain features that will still be retained even in our new body. There are certain things that will be true about the new body that are true about our old bodies. And again, I'm not talking about our old bodies. I'm talking about the bodies that we're living in. Paul continues with these analogies. He uses certain analogies to illustrate this. Look at the first one beginning in verse 37. Well, in verse 38, he talks about God giveth the body as it pleased him. That is, he's going to give it that body that honors him. But in verse 39, he begins by telling us, one, that the new body will retain its human individuality. And we're going to get a new body one of these days. But the new body is going to retain its own individuality. Look in verse 39. He said, all flesh is not the same flesh. He said there's different kinds of flesh. There's the flesh of men, there's the flesh of beasts, there's the flesh of fishes, and there's the flesh of birds. Now he uses the analogy of bodies here and the different kinds of bodies. He's saying that everybody, all the creatures, living creatures, have their own body. And that every one of them, there is a distinction but difference between those bodies. For example, a horse has its kind of body. A cow has its body. A fish has its body. A bird has its body. 
Uh, all, a dog has its body. A cat has its body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There the beasts have their own kind of body. Men have their own kind of body. Fish have their own kind of bodies. Birds have their own kind of bodies. And he said the, the body's here and everyone having different flesh, there's a distinction, a difference there, and that's the way we know them. We know a horse is a horse because of its body. We know that a cow is a cow because of its body. We know that a dog is a dog because of its body. We know that that dog is a German shepherd because of its body. We know whether or not it's a poodle because of its body. And we know that a man is a man because of his body. We know that a woman is a woman because of his body. We know what men and women are, in most cases, because of their body. Amen? All flesh is not the same. They all have their bodies. They are different Thus, they have their own individuality. Now, here's one thing about the new body. It's going to be an altogether different body, but it'll have its own individuality. When we get to heaven, we're still going to be in a, a body that is like our human bodies. We're not going to lose our own individuality. We'll have bodies that are distinct for who we are and as we are in this earth. I think about a woman that was worried about her husband, her dead husband whether he died and she was worried about whether or not he'd made it to heaven. So she decided she'd try to have a seance. And so uh, she had one. And after all the mumbo jumbo of calling the spirit of her husband, uh, calling the spirit of her husband, finally her husband's voice was heard answering, hello, Margaret, this is me. And she said, oh, Bob, she said, I just have to know if you're happy. And I just have to know if you're happy in the afterlife. What's it like over there? And he said, oh, it's much more beautiful here than I ever imagined. The sky is bluer and the air is cleaner and the pastures are more greener than I ever expected them to be. And the only thing that we do is eat and sleep. We eat and sleep over and over and over. We eat and sleep. And his wife shouted and said, oh, thank God you got to heaven. And he answered, heaven? What heaven? I'm a buffalo in Montana. Well, I want you to understand something. That when we die, we are going to maintain our own human individuality. You understand what I'm saying? But something else, look at verse 40 and 41. The new body will not only retain its own human in individuality, but it will retain its human identity. Look at verse 40. He said, there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for one star different from another and another star in glory. He's talking about the celestial bodies, which would be the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets. He's talking about bodies terrestrial, uh, which would be the bodies of men, beasts, fish, and things such as he mentioned in verse 39 there. And he said the bodies in heaven... They have their own glory. And that word glory, we're talking about their own distinctiveness, their own beauty, their own makeup. And the bodies of those on earth have their own makeup. But he said there's the glory of the sun. There's the makeup of the sun. The sun is the sun. There's the glory of the moon. The moon is the moon. The moon has its own identity. The sun has its own identity. He says the stars, they have their own glory. They have their own makeup. They have their own beauty. They have their own identity. What he's reminding us is that when we get our new bodies, our new bodies will not lose their own individuality. We will look the way we look, similar to the way we look in heaven in our new bodies. And furthermore, we will not lose our identity in our new body. In other words, you're going to know me as Ken Trivet in heaven. 
I want to know you as you are. You're not going to lose your identity. Well, I'm often asked, Brother Ken, will we know each other in heaven? Yes. We're going to get new bodies one day. The new body is going to replace the old body. But even in our new body, we're still going to have a body that looks like our bodies on earth. We're not going to be angels in heaven. We're not going to be some three-headed creature in heaven. We're not going to be some angelic being in heaven. We're going to have a body like the body we have now. And we're going to keep our own identity like the sun has its identity. The moon has its identity. The stars have its identity. We will be known in heaven even as we are known on earth. I think about a little fella came in one day in the kitchen where his mom was working. He was absolutely filthy. I mean, he had mud from one ear to the other. And he walked up and says, Mama, do you know who I am? And his mother, ready to play the game, said, No, who are you? And he said, Wow, Miss Johnson said you wouldn't know me. I said, Dirty. Well, I want you to know God will know you. And he's going to know you in heaven, and we will know each other in heaven. You're going to know your loved ones. You remember when Peter, James, and John was on the Mount of Transfiguration? And they saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Now, you've got to remember now, James, or Peter had never saw Moses. Moses lived thousands of years before Peter. And Peter, James, and John, none of them had ever saw Elijah. Both of those had lived thousands of years before. But when they saw them in that transfigured state and saw them in a glorified place, in a glorified body, they immediately knew who they were. They saw them in a human body, and they recognized them and knew who they were. Our new bodies are going to be different. What is put in the ground is not what's going to come up out of the ground. But even when it does come out of the ground, it will still have its human individuality and it will still have its human identity. You remember what Philippians 3.21 said? That we may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. You remember when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, following his resurrection, Christ appeared on this earth in his glorified body. But when people saw him, they saw him in a human, his body in a human form. And they knew who he was. I'm telling you tonight, that our new bodies will resemble our old bodies and that they will still retain their individuality and their identity. We will know one another in heaven. But there's a third and a final thing, and this is a good thing. The new body will replace the old body. The new body will resemble the old body, but the new body will rectify the old body. I think about a poem that was written by someone about the parting of the spirit from the body at death. And the spirit is represented, the poem is saying to the body, when I would have started on the moon's track and on the comet's pathway, you held me back. And the ideal in that poet's words is that these bodies are limited. I wanted to go to the moon, but I couldn't get there because of my body. I would walk the pathway of the comets, but I couldn't do that because my body would not allow me to do that is the idea. And what the poet had in mind is that these bodies, as wonderful as they are, fearfully and wonderfully made, there are certain limitations about our bodies. There are certain problems we have in our bodies. There are certain afflictions in our bodies. And there are certain things about our bodies that kind of limit us. But I want you to understand something. The new body is going to take care of every problem we've got in the old body. And everything is going to be corrected in the new body. Are you listening to me? One of these days, the body of our loved ones that we lovingly placed into their final resting place on this earth is going to be raised from the dead. And what we put in the ground is not what's going to come out of the ground. 
They're going to come out of the ground with a brand new body. And if I live and die and you bury me on resurrection day, my body's coming out of the ground. And when it comes out of the ground, yes, I'll still be Ken Trivet. Yes, you'll know who I am. But I'm coming out of the ground with a body that is altogether different, a body that will correct every problem that I have in this body down here. You say, what do you mean? Notice what he had to say. You notice what he said and in verse 42? He talks about, first of all, what we'll put off in the new body. Look at verse 42. He said, it is so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown. Like a seed being put in the ground. And to us, that would be the bearing of the body. He said, it is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. You see that word corruption there? It describes the decomposing of a body like the decomposing of a seed. It is the word that is the opposite of Genesis. Genesis, which means coming into being. The book of Genesis, the first book, when everything come into existence. And the word here, corruption, is a total op- totally opposite of Genesis. And the ideal is that the minute we come into being is we start dying. And the minute we come into this world, the minute we come into existence, there begins a process of decomposing or dying in our life. We often evaluate this life, our life this way. We say, I am... As Brian, 31 years old. Or as me, I am 34 years old. And we, we often evaluate. But the truth of the matter is, if y'all evaluate life this way, you are closer. Because the very minute you came into being, then you began a process of dying. The very minute you came in this world, then your body began to break down. And your body, through the years, wears out and it breaks down. That's why we wear glasses. Our eyes somewhere become weak, and we have to correct them by wearing glasses. Our hearing sometimes fades, and we have to correct that by using hearing aids. There is this corruption here, this decomposing that we're going through. There is our eyes, our hearing, the muscles that used to stand up now hang down. You know what I'm talking about. And there's this process of which we are going through our teeth, That's why we have to have them capped. That's why we have to have them pulled and replaced. The moment we came into being, at that moment, then we began dying and deteriorating. But notice what he said about the new body. He said the body we place in the ground is a body that has been deteriorating and will deteriorate throughout the process of being in the ground. But the new body will be raised an incorruptible body. Totally the opposite there. A body that is incapable of deterioration. Deterioration. You understand that one of these days when we get a new body, that it's going to be a body that will never grow old. I think that the perfect age or whatever it might be, I don't know exactly what it'll be, but I think when we get to heaven, we're just going to be perfect. Going to be perfect. Some of you dear women struggle with weight. I believe he's going to answer your prayers and give you a weight watcher body in heaven. Say amen right there. Amen. And I'm going to look like Charles Atlas. I mean, it's just going to be perfect in heaven. But it's going to be raised. It's going to be a body that doesn't wear out. It's going to be a body that doesn't break down. I'll leave my glasses in the grave. I'll leave all of my handicaps in the grave. It'll be a body that will never deteriorate. But look at something else that he said about the body. He said in verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. 
but it is raised in glory. See that word dishonor that is used there? It's a word that describes the present environment which we live. It is a word that talks about the present sphere in which our bodies exist and the influence of that sphere upon our body. We live in a world that is fallen. We live in a world that a fallen world. It goes all the way back to the beginning, back in Adam's day. And the evidence that we live in a fallen world is around us every day of our lives. All you got to do is pick up the newspaper and there's the evidence that we live in a fallen world. But the whole problem about it is we are influenced by this fallen world. We're not only living in a fallen world, but we are a people of a fallen nature. And that's why we have struggles, struggles with temptation. That's why we find ourselves doing the things that we do and, go and, and, and living this way and yielding to this and even thinking the things we do. We are in a world that is dishonorable, you might say. And even ourselves are dishonored by the environment in which we live. But here's the glorious thing about our new body. It will be raised in glory. The body that is put into the ground is a body that battled with this environment that we lived in. It was a body in which we lived, in which we failed. It was a body in which we lived, in which we sinned. It was a body in which we yielded the temptation and dishonored our bodies and dishonored our lives and dishonored our Lord. But the new body we're going to get is a body that will be raised in glory, the extreme opposite of the other thing of dishonor. It is a body in which there would be no dishonor, but rather it be a body in which all everything about that body will put forth praise and glory and thanksgiving to God. I don't know about you, but ain't it going to be great won't it be great when we get to the other side and we never grieve our Lord or fail our Lord or ever sin against God again? That's one of the good things about the new body. It is buried and sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. But look at something else he says about the body. He said it is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. See that word weakness? It literally means to be without strength. And it's often used in the New Testament to talk about some kind of physical infirmity or some kind of sickness. Those bodies of our loved ones, many of them were placed in the ground, and we'd watch them suffer through cancer and different things. And many of our bodies, and some of you even in this room tonight, you dear saints of God, you have problems in this body. Brother Robert and Jennifer down here, I love these folks, and thank God for the day that they send them to our church. Neither one of them have the privilege in this world being able to see weakness. But you notice what he says there. It is sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. One of these days, Robert, you're going to see. Jennifer, you're going to see. One of these days, you that have physical problems, R.J. Bones won't break anymore. One of these days, there won't be any cancer anymore. One of these days, there won't be any diabetes anymore. One of these days, there won't be any heart attacks anymore. One of these days, there won't be any blockages anymore. It is buried, sown in weakness, but it be raised in power. When he raised in power, he's talking about a power acting upon a power without, outside itself. In other words, God is going to give us a body. God's given us the body, and the body that he gives us will be immune to all the weaknesses that we have known in this body. It's going to be a brand new body. We'll put it all. He said in verse 44, it is sown a natural body, and he sums it all up. He said this natural body, with its corruption, with its dishonor, with its weakness, it is sown a natural body, but it's going to be raised a spiritual body. 
It's going to be a body raised in incorruption, a body raised in power, and a body raised in glory. He said there's a natural body, but thank God there's a spiritual body down the road. Aren't you glad there's some things we're going to put off in this body one of these days? We're going to get rid of this body, and we're going to get a new body. But look at the second thing in verse 45 and following. Not only what we'll put off in the new body, but what we'll put on in the new body. Verse 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The first man that ever got here got life from God. He didn't exist. Man cannot exist apart from God. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. But the last Adam, which is Jesus Christ, was made a quickening spirit. That word quickening, it's word found back in verse 36. It means to be made alive. He said the second Adam, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus was made a quickening spirit. He was one that gave life. What kind of life does he give? He said, how be it that which was not first, which is spiritual. The spiritual body has not come before the natural body, but that which is natural and afterwards that which is spiritual. He said the first man's of the earth. He said God made the first man of the earth. And the word used there, earthy, simply means dust. He made the first man of the earth dust of the dust of the earth but the second man is the Lord from heaven and as is those who are the dust such are they are of the dust and as those are heavenly such as they are the heavenly and as we have borne the image of the heavenly or the earthy we shall also bear the image of the heavenly and that phrase as we have borne and we shall bear is a phrase the same as putting on a garment there are some things we're going to put off in the new body but there's something we're going to put on in the new body and you know what we're going to put on in our new body? We are going to bear the image of the one that redeemed us by his grace. You realize what God's doing in your life right now? It's to make you like Jesus. But ultimately one day he's going to make you like Christ and you will bear the image of the one that saved you. Beloved, it does not now appear, as John said, what we shall be. But we said when the Lord will come that we shall be like him. We're going to put off some things in the new body, but we're going to put on some things in the new body. Are you listening to me? We're going to get a brand new body down the road. The next time no bones pop, the next time you go to the doctor and get a negative report, just remember there's a new body down the road. Amen? Let's stand our feet. Praise God.